On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, presented by DraftKings, we visit with the man who's become the voice of a national movement, the trailblazer, the philosopher, the soon-to-be author, Emmanuel Acho, the man who has led the series Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man that has gotten the attention of people across the country. Acho talks about where he has drawn his inspiration and what he hopes to do with his series and upcoming book that Oprah Winfrey is putting into production. And then we'll be joined by the beer manager at Plaza Liquors, Katie Camlin, the woman who knew that Patrick Mahomes was signing his contract before anyone else. And of course, we return to you this week with lots of NFL news. There are ongoing conversations between the National Football League and the NFL Players Association regarding the financial ramifications of the pandemic, the health and safety protocols that will be put into effect for the coming season. The players have strong demands, as they should, and the owners are trying to figure out how to address those demands as they go along. And the talks between the two sides are continuing. I'm told that they expect to wrap up something fairly soon. But at the time of this taping, midday Monday, they do not yet have an agreement in place. I would look for that agreement to be done at some point this week. Of course, contracts are and have been in the news. We saw Patrick Mahomes land a big deal. We saw Chris Jones land a big deal. We saw Dak Prescott did not land a big deal. But one topic that has not gotten a lot of attention and ordinarily would in a non-pandemic year is the amount of NFL stars who have not gotten long-term contract extensions. Don't know that we've ever had this before, but if we look at the list of great NFL players who ordinarily would have signed, it's lengthy. Joey Bosa, still waiting on a new deal from the Chargers. Deshaun Watson, waiting on a new deal from the Houston Texans. George Kittle, waiting on a deal from the San Francisco 49ers. Jalen Ramsey, waiting on a deal from the Los Angeles Rams. Tredavious White, waiting on a deal from the Buffalo Bills. DeAndre Hopkins, waiting on a deal from the Arizona Cardinals. And we can go on and on. But the fact of the matter is, there were so few extensions this offseason because of the financial uncertainty surrounding the NFL. These players have waited their turn, but teams don't know how to address the contracts because they don't know what the salary cap is going to look like in 2021. And so the financial ramifications of the pandemic already are being felt and will continue to be felt. It'll be interesting to see which of these players are able to land big deals that they deserve, but have not made much progress on to date. And we continue to wait for the Washington NFL team to make progress on its new name while the organization is embroiled in turmoil, thanks to the Washington Post report that 15, 16, 17 women were sexually harassed over a long period of time. Ron Rivera, the new coach of the Washington NFL team, has said it's up to him to try to change the culture. But I, I'll, but I also can tell you this. We've seen that the minority limited share partners of the Washington NFL franchise have hired an investment firm to vet potential buyers and see what their stake would be worth to selling. But there are also people who want Dan Snyder, the Washington owner, to sell his 60% of the team. He has been adamant all along that he refuses to do so. I can also tell you there are potential buyers out there. There are buyers out there that want to buy 
the controlling interest of the Washington NFL franchise. But Dan Snyder has been unwilling to sell, continues to be unwilling to sell. It is not for lack of opportunities. I personally know of two different situations where there would be people who would be willing to buy the NFL team from him if he were willing to sell, which he has not been so far. He intends to keep the team at this time. He intends to leave the team to his children. And right now, he does not appear to be budging off that stance. All right, before we get to today's interviews with Emmanuel Acho and Katie Camlin, first I want to remind everyone that Brian Windhorst is keeping everyone up to date with all the NBA news inside and outside the NBA bubble. Be sure to download and subscribe to Brian Windhorst and the Hoop Collective podcast, as well as the Adam Schefter podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, my friend, the great philosopher, the great man, Emmanuel Acho. Emmanuel Acho. The legend that is Adam Schefter. (laughs) Well, the legend that is Emmanuel Acho. I mean, this is now (laughs) moving into warp speed where, like, I'm expecting to see you, and I mean this, in People Magazine this week. I'm expecting to see you (laughs) on Total Access. I'm expecting to see you in places that the next level of star gets to. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) The crazy thing is, that's not at all far-fetched anymore, dude. Oh. Like, that's not at all far-fetched. The reason we reached out is, when you started your series, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, that got everybody's attention. Everybody loved it. You know the reaction. I'm not telling you anything that you haven't heard and don't know. It was off the charts. Great. But then, when... Oprah Winfrey contracts you to put it into a book. What was that like? <laughs> um, dude, it's, it's honestly, it's all been crazy. Um, so after Oprah's like right hand woman, uh, I guess it sent Oprah the first video chapter and yeah. she, uh, she said, Oprah's right hand woman, Terry said, you got to get on a call with him immediately. So the next day we all, we just hop on a FaceTime call or we hopped on a Zoom and uh, Oprah heard me out. She heard my heart. She saw the vision. She saw the passion. She realized um, why I'm trying to be a world changer, how I'm trying to be a world changer. And she was like, man, I, uh, I stand with you. I want to partner with you on this, dude. And um, it's, it's been a whirlwind, man. It has been a whirlwind, complete whirlwind. What was that like? to get Oprah on FaceTime? (laughs) Um. (laughs) I mean, that's not often, you know. I can't say I spoke to too many people who said they just did a FaceTime call with Oprah because they believed in the project that they were doing and the passion in their heart and what they stood for. I don't know too many people that have said that to me, Manuel. So what's funny, Schefter, honestly, you just asking me is probably the first time it sunk in. I haven't paused to reflect on what my, how my life has changed after in the last two months. Um, it, was, it was special because obviously I believe in myself. I believe in my dreams. I believe in my goals and my ambitions. But to have one of the most respected, adorned, loved media people media women, media personalities to have ever walked the face of earth to say, I see what you're doing and I, 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 I stand behind that. I'm appreciative of that. Bro, it, it's the biggest, 
the biggest stamp of approval you can have. <clears throat> like it's the, excuse me, it's the strongest um, piece of validation that you can have. And so it, man, it's humbling, but honestly, dude, I don't think about it. Like I, I my, my pedal, the pedal right now, my foot is on the gas, Shefter. Like my foot is on the gas towards change. My foot is on the gas towards creativity. My foot is on the gas towards uh, racial reconciliation. My foot is on the gas um, towards listening to the audience and what they want me to discuss. Talk about change, creativity, racial reconciliation. Where are we going with all this? Um, I think, bro, that I think that reconciliation is not a finish line that you cross. It, like football games, they have an end. Basketball games, they have an end. And it, it, when the 60 minutes are up at the end of a football game, there is a final score. That's not what this is with racial reconciliation. It's not a finish line that you cross. It's a road that you'll travel, Schefter. And we have to continue day by day to choose to travel on the road towards reconcil rec reconciliation. I, I talk about in, in my neighborhood, which is gentrifying right now, it used to just be 50 acres of land. But after a month, I'd see a house come up and then another house come up. How are these houses coming up, Shefters? Because each and every day, builders are laying down one brick after another brick after another brick. And eventually you see homes are being built because of the bricks that people are choosing to lay down each and every day. We need to see the house, the figurative house of reconciliation be built because of the brick that Emmanuel Acho and Adam Schefter and everybody listening are laying down day after day. So how, what, what's next, Schefter? It's a matter of each and every day, people choosing, bro, to lay down bricks, positive bricks, to open up their hearts and say, you know what? Maybe the way in which I've thought about this wasn't accurate. Maybe I have been blind to my privilege. Maybe I have been blind to um, um, oppression. Maybe I have been blind to certain things, Shefter, and realizing maybe I didn't know everything. And maybe what I did know was a lie. And it's really remarkable for those who haven't seen it. Emmanuel Acho's Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. It's on Twitter. It's on Instagram. It's probably all over the internet. You could go find it. If you haven't found it, I would highly recommend you seeing it. In the first episode, he talked out loud about questions, I guess, that white people should know or answers that white people should know. In the second episode, he had on Matthew McConaughey, who they had an incredible conversation. Third one was, I believe, Chip and Joanna Gaines. Chip and Joanna and Gaines, believe, man. Yep. And you've enlightened and informed. So where did you get the idea? Where did this come to you to begin man. the Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man series? Yo, phenomenal question. I don't get to tell this story very often. Um, I, after after the, the murder of George Floyd, Chester, I said, I got to do something, man. I have to. And I, I almost felt guilty talking about race because I'm a sports analyst, man. And, and Chester, I'm sure you run into this plight. Because people expect you to only tweet breaking NFL news. But the problem is, just like me, Chapter, you are a human before you are an insider. And so I almost felt guilty talking about like being black and the struggles that come with being black, even if it's not my own struggle, but my people that look like me, because I'm like, man, y'all don't even want to hear this. But I said, y'all have to. 
So at first Schefter, it was gonna be called Questions White People Have. And I was trying to get together a group of people, black people and white people at a table. I reached out to my dog, Marcus Spears, ESPN analyst. I reached out to Rachel Lindsay, the first black bachelorette. I reached out to a couple white people and I said, hey, I'd love to have a dialogue at a round table and we just ask and answer questions. But the problem is the coronavirus has put everybody in different cities and made it incredibly hard to travel. So it was gonna take us too long. So finally, I just said, I'll do it myself. Um, I called a, a white friend. She drove down from Dallas to Austin, Texas to have the conversation with me. We prepared the whole day on Saturday. We were gonna tape on Sunday. Remember Schefter, it was called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man after I chose to change the name. It was never supposed to be Uncomfortable Monologue with a Black Man. But at the last second, my dear white friend who drove three hours from Dallas to Austin, she had a change of heart. She was like, hey, I can't do this. It's not right. Um, you should do it alone. And so wow. Schefter, I look at the camera, I put my head down, I say three, two, uh, one, I open up my eyes and stare dead into the heart of the camera lens. And for nine minutes, 27 seconds, I go without cutting the camera. Um, and I just poured out my heart. Within three days, dude, we had 27 million views. Uh, five days later, I get a call from a no-caller ID number. And if a no-caller ID never, number ever calls you, it's either really good or it's really bad. It happened to be uh, Matthew McConaughey. And he, I don't know how he got my number. He called me on Saturday morning. He said, Acho, McConaughey here. I want to have a conversation. I said, well, my man, I'll be, uh, I'll be taping another episode in three or four days. He said, let's do it tomorrow. I said, oh, 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 okay. If Matthew McConaughey wants to do it tomorrow, we will do it tomorrow. Wow. Um, so episode two, we tape tomorrow, the next day, rather. And the crazy thing, Schefter, I'm not really reaching out to people. Like, I'm letting the conversations come organically. So if anybody ever retweets or follows or shares something, then I try to have a conversation with them. Like, I saw... Jennifer Aniston, she started following me. I didn't even know. One of my friends had to tell me, hey, Jennifer Aniston's following you. Um, so we exchanged a couple direct messages. Reese wow. Witherspoon, she, she, um, she shared my story. Um, so Reese Witherspoon, her and I had exchanged some messages and she was like, yes, I'd love to come on in the future. So I'm trying to coordinate to get uh, Reese Witherspoon on and have a conversation with her. Um, so I wow. just, I reach out to people who reach out to me, man. And it's been, it's been encouraging, it's been powerful, dude. So Matthew McConaughey, the funny part is, is when you did that, I was thinking, well, Acho lives in Austin, Matthew McConaughey lives in Austin. You're telling me that the two of you didn't even know each other, despite the fact that you both lived in Austin, and he came to you unsolicited. Correct. I, nobody, I haven't really solicited anybody. McConaughey, he, he, called, he got my number because he called, I think, the Texas athletic director. But mm -hmm. McConaughey and I have only met maybe two or three times. We've probably spoken for a combined five minutes like we know of each other but we don't know each other like we mm -hmm. don't we don't have each other's numbers um there was there was there wasn't really a texas connection there he just saw something that he believed in and matthew mcconaughey is a, he's just an incredible human being he is a he is a human being who wants to see the world become a better place he wants to see america become a better place so it had nothing to do with you know texas texas football or texas connection it was just happenstance we both happened to be in austin Chip and Joanna Gaines, Chip and Joanna had both retweeted and shared my first video. So I just reached out to Chip and I said, hey, thanks so much, man. Would love to have a conversation. He said, absolutely. Um, just let, just, he said, my only request is that I can bring my family. I said, man, no doubt about it. Our kids are our future. Um, so yeah, I'm not really out here, Schefter, begging and pleading for anybody to come on. 
I'm letting, if you believe in the vision, if you believe in the goal, if you want to see the world become a better place, um, I just feel like I currently have an incredible platform to do that. Dude, my, uh, my episode, which is dropping this Tuesday, July 21st, it's two white parents raising black, white, and mixed children. Tears were shed, Chester, in this episode. Like, this is going to be the most powerful episode um, coming out because it's like, it's just real, bro. It's very real. And, and I read all my emails and my emails are like, hey, I'm white. I have black children. Help me. Uh, my emails are, I'm white. I'm in an interracial relationship. Help me. My emails are, hey, can you talk about the role that the police department plays? So I'm reading my emails, which is actually what Oprah told me to do. That's probably the best advice she's given me so far. Listen to what the people want and give the people what they want. So that's what you're trying to do. How many emails would you say you're getting on a daily basis? Oh, my gosh. Oh, dude. Uh, Man, I'd probably get I probably get 200 emails a day. And then counting my comments, because usually every uh, Instagram video will get maybe 2000 comments. And so between Instagram comments, YouTube comments, emails, Twitter replies, you could probably say I'm getting about, if you were to divvy it up by day, maybe 700. Staggering. Um, Staggering. Yeah, man, I have a team. We sort through them. And we just, we, we, it's all, I'm doing this for the people. That's well, what well, that's, Jeff, that's just what I want. Well, I was just Jeff, wondering. That again? You, yeah, I was just wondering that because you, you say you've got a team of people here, and is this generating revenue for you? Because it's something that you just—it was a passion project that you continue yeah. to do. That's now become, it sounds to me, like it's overtaking your life in a great way. In a great <laughs> way, right? It's funny, man. I um, it, it is. It's definitely overtaking my life in a great way. Haven't made any money from it. Uh, thus far, because what's crazy is I wasn't looking to do it for money. And as you've right. noticed, like you haven't seen any sponsors on it, you haven't seen any brought to you by or presented by. Um, I haven't. Now, it's not to say that um, I, I can't because I am. I'm probably putting, I don't know. I would say seventy hours a week into this project while also co-hosting my own show. Now, is, uh, speak for yourself. So it's not to say that there won't come a point in time where if, if, if a symbiotic relationship or partner that wants to believe in the brand and, and, and put in an influx of money into this project that I, I, I'll, I'll obviously consider and hopefully be able to move forward with it. But this wasn't about money, bro. This was about making change. And um, so that's why I just haven't been, I don't, I haven't been eager to jump at a dollar. Like I've been eager to jump at creating new episodes and, Dude, Shefter, the burden this has put, a positive burden, but the burden this has put on my life, it's, but it's been a calling and a commission. And, and you know, when, when you got a calling, bro, you can't, you can't hang up on that call. Well, for you to say that the most powerful and emotional episode that you've done in the series is dropping this week on Tuesday tells me that the popularity of the series is only going to continue to rise and the fact that Oprah is now putting it into a book, and I want to hear that's going to work in a moment, tells me that you have an opportunity here to, again, take care of the people that are on your team just for their time and make it such that it's not just a burden on you. And I know it's not for money, but I would think at some point this has to be brought to you by whatever it may be. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So 
I actually have two teams, right? And here's the thing, Shepter. Let me say this. And if, if yeah. nobody hears anything else, I hope they hear this. There is nothing limiting you from impacting the world, impacting uh, your world, impacting your friend groups, impacting society. The first video, Shepter, it was shot by a wedding videographer, my friend Juan, who shot my birthday video. It was a wedding videographer who shot it, and it was produced by my friend uh, Morlakea Kinnison, that's an Olympic gold medalist in the 4x1 in 2016. He sat there and helped me produce it. A wedding videographer shot it, and I just stood, I, I sat there in front of a camera, and this video, that episode one, has now been viewed by 30 million people. It, 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 I didn't highly like produce this, bro. I was just like, I said, I have an idea and I want to try to change the world. And I just went out on a faith and did it. Now, you, yep, Heart Production, uh, which is uh, Oprah's kind of production company, they've now stood behind me in doing the project since I've moved to LA. And so thankfully, um, I have an army now in Harpo that's, that's really partnered with me to co-produce this project. Um, and so that's, that's how I'm doing it. I have a team in Austin when I'm in Austin, and I have a team in LA when I'm in LA. Ah, and so the book, Oprah contracted you to do the book on this. Am I correct in that? Or what is she having you do for her company? So the, the book is being, um, the, the, the publisher is Flatiron. It's Flatiron Publishing Company, but Oprah partners with Flatiron, and she's making it an Oprah imprint. And so it is quite literally hand-selected, like Oprah imprint. Oprah's imprint is going to be on the side of the book, on the bind of the book. Oprah hand-specific is saying, I want to imprint this book within Flatiron Publishing Company. Uh, and the only other Oprah imprint not written by Oprah was Alicia Keys' memoir. So I will be the, the second person to have an Oprah imprint book not written by Oprah herself. And the book will be, um, will be transcripts of the conversations that have occurred and will be occurring. Is that correct? Or no. So the book is going to be totally different. The book is not going to be a transcript. The book, I, remember, these conversations have only been like seven to 15 minutes because social media, the, the, the average attention span is so short. The, the videos have only been seven to 15 minutes. The book, Schefter, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, that will be um, really a lot more in depth a lot more anecdotal stories, a lot more um, detailed, how you can really make a change. The book will allow me to give people what I haven't been able to give them via words. And obviously that you can pre-order the book now, uncomfortableconvos.com if anybody wants to check that out. But the book, Schefter, it's gonna allow me to take things a step further. And remember, if you want to like, if you wanna have sizzle, sizzle comes with the spoken word. But if you want to be passed down from generations, if you want to make generational impact, that comes with the written word. Um, and so I think that in writing this book, we will truly be able to change the generations that come after us, Shefter. That's my goal. And I have a question here. You're doing this unbelievable work. You're putting on these great series on social media. You're about to do a book for the Oprah imprint. How do you find the motivation to now go to work as an analyst for five years. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Um, for 
and I would, and by the way, I would say, I would say the same thing if you still worked at ESPN, just because yeah, yeah. this stuff seems so significant, and not that sports is insignificant, but they call sports the toy department. It's fun. We love sport. We love what we do, but what you're doing has such meaning, and the ability, as you say, to change the next generation and generations to come. So I would say it like this, Chester. Sports is my career. Uncomfortable conversations with a black man is my calling. And you typically use your career to allow you to advance your calling. Because sometimes your calling, um, it won't necessarily keep the lights on. Now, thankfully, um, sports is also my passion. Because, bro, Schefter, people have to understand, this stuff is so heavy, man. Like, these episodes I drop, it, it takes so much out of me. Um, because it's, it, it's, it's just so taxing. So I need sports to continue to put the smile on my face right. to allow me to make it from each day to each day um, so that these tough, hard, uncomfortable, uh, uh, sometimes, sometimes sorrowful conversations don't take so much out of me. So, man, hosting Speak for Yourself, dude, like that's my, my pride and joy because that lets me go smile. Um, before I, my heart goes and breaks while having a conversation. Where did this calling come from? When did you know you had it and where did it come from? Man, um, Chester, I have always, and you've known me, and you've known me now personally for, for probably two to three years. Yep. Um, I have always been a, a deep thinker. I, I got my master's degree while in the NFL in sports psychology. So I've always cared about the mind. But more than anything, I live on this earth to be significant, not successful. My goal is never to make a lot of money, stack a lot of money. My goal is to truly leave an impact and leave an imprint on the earth. So my, my coach, Rick Minner, linebacker coach for the Philadelphia Eagles while I was there, he told me, he actually told me this while I was getting cut. He said, Emmanuel, if I could buy stock in your future, I would. And I didn't take it to heart at the time, Chester, because I'm like, dude, you're releasing me. Like, what the hell do you mean if you could buy stock in my future? But he saw in me, Schefter, what I hadn't yet seen in myself. And he saw that I am going to make a bigger impact on this world um, than anything. So this calling um, it was a gift from God. And it, 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 was a, it was just a matter of time. I'll say this, Schefter, to answer this question in, in conclusion of this question. I went to an affluent private school called St. Mark's in Dallas, Texas. It's the number one high school in Dallas, and it's basically all white. Then I played football at the University of Texas, and I played in the NFL. And I think all of those things occurred for this moment in time right now. I don't think I played in the NFL just to go tackle people. And I don't think I went to St. Mark's to get a good education. I think I was immersed in white culture and immersed in black culture so that I could speak to both cultures and could speak to both people groups. So I honestly think God was just preparing me for this moment to be used for this moment. Well, that, that's the great part of life, right? You go on this journey and you go do what you do. And you went to St. Mark's School of Texas and then you went to Texas and then you went to the NFL and bounced around from Cleveland to Philadelphia to the Giants to the Eagles. And you had all the experiences that you did and they molded you into the person and man that you are capable of striking a chord in our country to make significant change. And I think everybody goes through what they go through and it makes them the person they are and allows them, enables them to 
make the market they do. And some people seize that opportunity and capitalize upon it, as you have, and others don't. But I think we all are a product of our circumstances and backgrounds and upbringings. And yours is probably coming into focus at a much earlier age than a lot of people. You're 29 years old. You don't turn 30 until November. You're still a baby in many ways. <laughs> and so this is all out in front of you. And again, being in Austin shapes you a certain way. And now you'll be in LA and that'll shape you a certain way. And it'll all continue to help you evolve as the great man that you are to enact the change that you are. And it will continue going on like that and I think a lot of people can look at their lives like that. I look at my life like that. And so to me, it's tremendous that you could use this at such an early age to have such wisdom at an early age to go on that riff, unprompted, unscripted on that first episode of Uncomfortable Conversations with Black Men for nine minutes. But it came from your background and it came straight from your heart. And so it flows out. Because you're just turning on the faucet. That's all you're doing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're you're exactly right. And and it's crazy, Chester, because you're right. Like I am just 29 years old, and now people are looking at me. It was one of like the forefront leaders of these conversations. I had um I spoke to the entire New York Yankees organization. I spoke to the entire Cleveland Indians organization. Um, I was reached out by the the Dodgers. I've been reached out by several NFL organizations. And what I could never accomplish on the gridiron in the sport playing football, I've now been able to accomplish exponentially outside of football. So I think people just have to realize, chase your career, but just understand sometimes your calling will trump your career tenfold. So that was recently that the Yankees and Dodgers and Indians and NFL teams have yeah. reached out to you? And yeah. NFL which NFL teams, if you don't mind me asking, have reached out to you to speak to their team? Um, the, 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 the Rams gave me a shout. Um, obviously, the Eagles gave me a shout. That's where I played most of my career. Um, Howie Roseman and I, we've been in touch. Um, the Chicago Bears, they gave me a shout. Um, the, 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 the Cowboys, via a member of their organization, they reached out. I've already spoken to the Yankees. I've already spoken to the Indians. Phenomenal organizations, uh, phenomenal people who just really wanted me to speak and pour my heart out. Uh, it's been crazy, Schefter. Even like the uh, athletic director at North Dakota State, he got my number via Carson Wentz and he reached out. Um, Texas Tech, they reached out. It's just it's, it's a lot for me to handle. And what, what is your message to these teams and organizations and what will your message continue to be to them? It, it has to be that watch out for your unconscious bias watch out for again i say this Schefter. i say that when you look at our judicial system and you look at murder there's first degree which is premeditated there's second degree which is a heat of passion then you get down to involuntary manslaughter which is still unlawful um, but it may have been incidental and right now so many of these organizations and teams they commit involuntary racism and while it's not first degree racism, like we see with the murder of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery, that involuntary racism, it still exists. And it is still killing figuratively the emotions of black people on a daily basis. So my communication is just 
watch out for committing involuntary racism, uh, my dear white brothers and sisters. That's kind of been my, 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 my motto and my memo. Give me an example of the involuntary racism. Um, think about like this. Uh, Acho, you, you don't even talk like you're black. Or Acho, you're, you're so smart for a black guy. Or Acho, you're like an Oreo, black on the outside, white on the inside. Um, when you don't even realize, like by saying that, you're saying you can't be that, black people aren't that smart. So you being so smart, it contradicts being black. So you, while you're trying to like pay a compliment, you're actually being racist incidentally. Like you're not trying to be malicious, you're just involuntarily being malicious. And I think that's what really um, exists, perpetuates amongst our society. Those are deep thoughts and you're doing this for meaningful people and it's a message that's gonna continue to spread. And that's why to tie it back to the initial part of the conversation, you're gonna be People Magazine. You're not gonna have time for podcasts like this. Like this is so, I'm so far beneath you, Acho. I can't even tell you. Oh, I'm and honored that you, that you would come on my podcast. Like <laughs> I, may be, I may be the last little kind of show that you do before you skyrocket into stardom and are doing conversations with with the spoon and Jennifer Aniston. Like I, I got in just under the wire, just under the wire. After <laughs> dude, I got the text from you and I said, you're a good man. Um, you've done a lot for me. I hope to do the same for you. So of course, this is, this is time that I was thrilled to make my brother. I appreciate you. I congratulate you. I salute you. I wish you luck on the book. There's nothing like writing a book. We will continue to watch uncomfortable conversations with a black man. We will continue to cheer for you from afar, even at a rival network. And even though I won't get to spend my Thursday mornings eating oatmeal. <laughs> Thanks for the time, brother. Be well as always. You know you got a friend in me. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Adam. Is this the great Katie Camlin? <laughs> yes. Wow. I finally get to meet my arch nemesis, the woman <laughs> that is scooping me on all the Chiefs news. Katie, it is nice of you to be with us. Thank you. 
this is so wild. <laughs> what has this been like for you, this sort of 15 minutes of fame? And I guess for those who don't know, let me just lay it out. And Katie, feel free to step in and interject any details here. On the Monday that Patrick Mahomes reached agreement on his 10-year, $450 million extension, I tweeted out that he had that deal. Unbeknownst to me, no, I apologize, Katie, I'm just telling you, unbeknownst to me, <laughs> a couple of hours earlier, Katie Camlin, who is the beer manager at Plaza Liquors, am I correct, Katie? Yep. Okay. She had tweeted out that a front office employee for the Chiefs came in and bought six bottles of Dom Perignon, said there's a big signing today. He said it's not Chris Jones. So my guess is a Mahomes deal. And lo and behold, there it was later in the day. And when I thought that I had the exclusive story, everybody was very quick to point out that there was a young woman in Kansas City, a beer manager for Plaza Liquors, that broke the news before we did. And then when Chris Jones signed his four-year deal worth up to $85 million with the Chiefs, the Chiefs posted a video and did a Brett Veach special in which they reenacted a Chiefs front office employee coming in to buy more Dom Perignon from Katie Camlin at Plaza Liquors. How did I do summarizing the version of events there, Katie? That was perfect. And, you know, I've had to tell the story a lot, so I appreciate that you gave me a break there. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you have to say about the story and how this has all transpired the last nine days and how you've become something of a cult hero in Kansas City? <laughs> it's so it's honestly been kind of tumultuous um you know the day of the tweet I don't know like I mean it's good now but the day of the tweet I was pretty nervous and you know got a little impulsive and thought maybe I shouldn't have tweeted that you know for like customer discretion and I was worried about you know the Chiefs guy's job and my job and you know I so I deleted it um and just kind of out of panic, you know, and then uh, of course screenshots live forever and ever. So it just took off and um, it's just been crazy. <laughs> um, you know, we had reporters coming through the doors. I got USA Today on the phone. I'm trying to explain to my boss why people are starting to like storm the store. And I just, I, it was, it was a lot <laughs> that okay. Monday. It was very crazy. Katie, you need to ask your boss for a raise all the attention that you've gotten for Plaza Liquors. Like, there are people coming in now thinking that they're going to see Brett Veach, the Chiefs GM, or Brent Tillis, their cap guy, or whoever it may be, coming in to buy some alcohol to celebrate some Chiefs news. Like, this is the unofficial home of the Kansas City Chiefs where they go to celebrate big deals. Yeah, we're super, super happy about it. Um, it's, yeah, I don't even know what to say. I honestly didn't think my tweet was a big deal at first, which is funny but you know I felt like uh just any Kansas City fan would have been excited and I guess in my head I was like there's no way we won't sign Mahomes because the city will like riot um so <laughs> I felt like it was only a matter of time and uh suddenly the, the tweet I kind of realized was a lot bigger deal but for me I just felt like I made an educated guess and then just it just blew up <laughs> when you deleted the tweet were you nervous about the ramifications afterwards yeah, I was. And I'm, I mean, I'm kind of a nervous person sometimes. Um, you know, I started this job at the end of May. Um, I'm really loving it. Uh, but you know, like new job, I didn't want to, you know, make waves like that. Or 
I was worried about the Chiefs being mad. Like, can you imagine your favorite hometown team being mad at you? It would be horrible. <laughs> mm. But yet they came to you to film a video after the Chris Jones deal. So what yeah, was your reaction was, to that? That was so fun. And for me, it's just indicative of, like, the culture that Kansas City and the Chiefs have involving their fans. Um, you know, they didn't have to do that. They could have just, you know, ignored me or said, like, hey, just don't do that again. But, you know, the open communication, the the willingness to have fun with it, um, it just it speaks a lot to, I feel like, how the organization really loves their fans and how the players love their fans, too. So it's just been cool to see all the, like, positive engagement um, from the video. It's, it's just all been really, really awesome this week. And what's been the craziest part of the last couple of weeks for you with your newfound celebrity? Uh, probably you tweeting me, actually. <laughs> really? <laughs> Uh, yesterday, Chris Jones did mention my name, like my Twitter name in a tweet, which made me scream while I was at work. Um, so, uh, I was like, what is going on? <laughs> and, and, and what is, can you tell people again, what, what your pinned tweet is? Um, <laughs> can we curse on this podcast? Go ahead. Yeah. All right. So my, my pinned tweet says, holy shit, I beat Schefter. Um, <laughs> because. <laughs> because people started saying that and I just thought it was ridiculous because I mean, how do you beat Chester? <laughs> you gotta have somebody on the inside, I guess. <laughs> well thank you, Kenny. Now do you have any aspirations to do anything journalistically or are you gonna continue on as the beer manager of Plaza Liquor? I you know, I really love beer. Um and I actually used to be a full time teacher. And I kind of stepped away from that for a while. Um, and I was involved with some local brewery work. And now I'm really loving um, being the beer manager at Plaza Liquor. It's it's basically like I have my own like candy store of beer. I get to, you know, be in charge of what we carry. And I'm having a lot of fun with the staff. And I, I mean, I don't know. I don't think I really have the chops to do sports journalism. I'm just a big fan. <laughs> And what's your favorite beer? What beer would you recommend to the listening audience today? What's the best beer oh, we man. got in Plaza Liquor? That is a really intense question for me because we have probably over like 500 beers. So some highlights right now, I would say. Um, we've got a lot from um, local brewery Boulevard. Um, we've got a couple bottles of that worth the weight, which is a, the Chiefs, um, you know, unofficial um, like Super Bowl celebration beer. We've got some smaller niche breweries um, like Pipeworks and Maplewood um, that I really enjoy their stuff. Um, it's just, it, there's so much. And I really love to support local breweries as well. So we, we have a lot of Kansas City breweries in the, in the shelves. And did you ever have any experience in your past at Plaza Liquor or with anything you've ever done in your life? I know you're a science fiction enthusiast. You call yourself a <laughs> mega nerd. You're into hot sauce. I love Cholula hot sauce. Uh, have you had any brushes with fame previously prior to this that would rival your experience being the ultimate Chiefs insider? I would say the closest is when I worked for Boulevard Brewing Company and I got to film a, a little promo ad with a rapper Tech Nine from Kansas City. Ooh, that was that pretty cool. It was he's a really sweet guy. We uh, we filmed like kind of a mock. Um, as he was working at the brewery and he was just kind of making a mess of it. And that's when I was a tour guide. And so it was me and tech nine doing tours and he just was a disaster. And it is a pretty fun video and it was to promote a beer that he collaborated with. And that was, that was the coolest thing up until, you know, getting a DM from Adam Schefter. Well, 
Uh, I'm glad you got that. I also wanted to let you down here lightly, Katie, and let you know that Plaza Liquor reached out to me and offered me the job as beer manager of Plaza Liquor. And I've decided to leave ESPN to become the beer manager of Plaza Liquor, which unfortunately might mean the end of your career there at Plaza Liquor. But the good part is I think you've paved the way for a career into reporting and into journalism. So if you choose to do that while you're unemployed now from Plaza Liquor, I think you have found your next calling. Now, can we just do like a trade then? Can I just take over your seat? Yeah, you, you, you can have it. You, you, you see what it's like, right? You've seen the rush, the energy, the adrenaline, the nerves, the anxiety that goes into it, right? So if you want that oh, job, yeah. it's not yours. <laughs> That's a tempting offer. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to stick with my beer store. Yeah, well, I, I don't blame you. And I think I, with that in mind, I think I will turn down the offer that I got. From Plaza Liquor Very kind the, of you. Yeah, to become the beer manager. I think we'll do it that way. We'll leave you and your job. I'll continue to try to hold on to my job, and we'll both follow and track the Chiefs. But the only thing I'll ask is if anybody else does come in in the future, please DM me before you tweet it. All right. Yeah, I've got a direct line now. I won't. Uh, I don't know if you saw on Monday when they announced Chris Jones' thing. I just tweeted. I figured I'd let Schefter have this one. <laughs> <laughs> so I beat you on that one? You did. You did. Uh, I had no idea. <laughs> my summer's made. My summer's made. Well, Katie, we were out great... of we were out of Dom. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a great sport. Congratulations on your success here the last few weeks. Enjoy your time at Plaza Liquor. I appreciate making the time for us today and providing us a little bit of entertainment there. And it was great to watch you do your thing. And I congratulate you on your success. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's so cool to talk to you. And so there is Katie Camlin, the beer manager at Plaza Liquors in Kansas City. If I could ever travel again and get out to Kansas City and see a Chiefs game, as I ordinarily would, I would love to go say hello to Katie Camlin, shake her hand, and congratulate her on her fine work. Kansas City has been in the news while we were on break, obviously signing Patrick Mahomes and Chris Jones to long-term contracts. Mahomes lands a 10-year extension worth $450 million, worth up to $503 million. Chris Jones gets a four-year $80 million deal worth up to $85 million. And the Chiefs are ready to roll into the 2020 season, assuming there is one, to try to defend their title. And they've gotten Mahomes really on a friendly deal. As crazy as that sounds, the richest contract in sports history, it's a team-friendly deal that will enable the Chiefs to do what they want in the future, to give them the flexibility. It reminds me a little bit of a modern-day version of the Tom Brady contract, where Brady's helping out the Patriots. Patriots are able to do some other things. And I think the Chiefs will be in a similar situation with Patrick Mahomes. And now Chris Jones, and right after Patrick Mahomes signed, he texted Chris Jones, hey, I left some money on the table for a guy like you to sign. And lo and behold, Chris Jones signs. And by the way, if you happen to have missed it, we did an Instagram live chat with Chris Jones on Friday. What a great guy he is, how smart he is, uh, tremendous, just a great guy. And he predicted in no uncertain terms that he's going to win the 2020 NFL Defensive Player of the Year. So Patrick Mahomes is going to go out and try to win the MVP, take that award away from Lamar Jackson. And Chris Jones is guaranteeing that he's going to win the NFL Defensive MVP. So it should be another great show in Kansas City. I'm only sorry that I won't be able to get out there in person 
to see it. I want to thank Katie Kaplan for coming on. I want to thank my friend Emmanuel Acho, who's doing unbelievable work in Los Angeles and in Austin, Texas, and across the country. Everybody's now taking notice of the great young talent that he is at the age of 29. His book soon will be coming out. Watch his series, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell. Her vacation time's over. Back to work. Back to the grind with me every single week. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week as training camps will be getting ready to open. Players will be reporting. Football will be in full swing. And we can only hope it stays in full swing. Until then, have a great week. Be well and stay safe. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.